Internet Brand Strategist, Sandra Beck, interviews top business coaches, speakers, authors, and thought leaders to bring you the best business tips, tricks, and techniques to give your idea the best possible chance for success. From writing your first novel, to telecommuting from home, to taking your small business to infinity and beyond. Now here's your host, Sandra Beck. Hey everybody, this is Sandra Beck and I'm with Ann Tucker and this is the fourth in our series. So if you like what you hear today, I want you to go back and look up Ann Tucker and look up her radio appearances with us because she is just so great. She wrote a book called Undoubtedly Awesome and I had a lot of doubts in my business when I formed my first business then I lost it in a divorce and then formed a second and a third business and what I found was that there were ways to make doubt work for you but I can't articulate that, which is why I brought Ann Tucker on to talk to me. You can go to anntucker.com and find out more about her as we unpack this concept of making doubt work for you. And what made you decide to write a book about doubt? I will thank you very much for having me again, Sandra. I love talking with you. Um, and the doubt really became, um, it was a growth out of my focus on decision making. So I started my career as a, um, well, originally as a negotiator for Microsoft way back when, which got me started looking at how people make decisions. Went from there into corporate coaching, executive coaching, and my in was always around how people um, uh, think, solve problems, make decisions. Because your decisions are really, if you're going to pick like what is one thing you can focus on in your work that's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck, decisions are it because they are at the beginning of everything you do and they determine what comes next, right? And so then I started looking at how people make decisions, looking at working with executives and coaching them on their performance and saying, okay, here's, here's looking at the process that they made. And I, it became clear to me working with person after person after person that each of them, their process was either succeeded or failed in different ways. And that doubt affected each person differently based on what I call their soul type. It can also be called their decision type that they, um, that doubt, was um, uh, one of the things that threw their process, their creative process off track. Yes. Yeah. Oh so that was really, that was really what, what, and that became the focus of my book, Undoubtedly Awesome, was understanding, if you can understand where doubt affects you or how it affects you, you can address that so that it really, it, it, the whole idea is to become a better creator, to use your own creative energy more efficiently, more effectively. Well, and if you think about like, just take the concept of like, I want to write a book. Yeah. I have an idea to write a book and what comes in right away immediately after that great book idea. Oh, I probably can't do that. Oh, yeah. I probably, they won't buy it. It probably won't be good. It won't. Mm -hmm. sell. And you know, there we just like Caesar, we just stabbed it dead. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And here's what's interesting is that, okay, so, so that process that you just described, so you just described somebody gets an idea and then they shoot it down. Yep. That is the process that belongs to a soul type I call the coaching soul. And they are the ones that start in with their idea and then they go out and they start looking at uh, talking to other people and they look at a bunch of examples and then they stay in this comparative mode and they, they never get started because they end up being riddled with doubt. Whereas, right. for example, another soul type might get an idea, immediately jump into it and work, 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 work and start right. making progress. And then something happens that sort of slightly derails them. And then the project fizzles and never gets done. That's and that's right. doubt affects them. Yeah. 
because you're right. You are, you are an experimenting energy. So it was experimenting or expressive. I'm trying to remember now which one, which one, well, in any case, they, they're both similar processes, but, but that's, but the point is, is that understanding this about yourself, knowing where it is that doubt is going to creep into your process. Um, it sort of pre arms you and gives you, you can get techniques and strategies to help you so that you don't end up um, so that you end up being able to complete your process so you can create. Well, and that's what I got from your book. You know, your book is one in my stable. Like I know the listeners can't see, but if you look down there on my box, there's a one with a marked success. I love that's it. That's where your book is because they're the, they, they are my most recommended books. And I know personally, you know, here's the shameless endorsement for your book that you didn't pay for. You just graciously agreed to come on my show. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what, happens to me happens to a lot of my clients, you know, as a coach and I'm there and I became a better coach after reading your book because now not only do I have the self-talk to unwind my own doubt, but the doubt of others. And when you acknowledge like now here's what happens in that same thought process. I have an idea for a book. I should write the book. And then, no, you can't, no, you can't, blah, blah, blah. All that comes in my head. And I'm like, well, that's just your doubt talking. So let's not listen to it. Let's focus. Because if you're going to get it done, you have to try. And what's the worst? You know, the book sucks. Nobody likes it. And you wasted a lot of time. And then I go in my head, well, but I really like to write. I'm like, so then it isn't a waste of time. So get to work. And there's that, you know, like that thing that goes through my head, but you you, as a coach or a leader or a teacher, if you're listening today, reading that book about doubt, but also for yourself, whether you're creating at work in your personal life or raising kids, because I think your book about doubt is really important for every parent. Thank you. Yeah, it is. It it is incredibly helpful in terms of being able to understand um, especially as you're trying to guide your kids, right? Whether you're, like you said, whether you're coaching other adults or whether you're working with your own kids is that if you can understand where they're coming from, it can be really hard for us to really perceive somebody else's creative energy, how they, how they work in the world. And it's mostly because we, we have our own way of doing things and it's pretty much subconscious. Like we're not necessarily aware of our thought process. We just do it, right? You create the way you create. And we don't, we don't, it's like walking. If you had to tell somebody how to walk, it would be hard to give them instructions. This is how you do it. It's because you've been doing it your whole life. And our creative process is the same way, the way that we make decisions and choices and create things. And so when you're trying to give advice to, you know, whether it be, you know, a coworker or a client or your child is we tend to start from, this is how I do it. This is how, if I do it this way, I know it works. But the thing is, is that your way of doing it may be completely wrong <laughs> for that person because they have, they're creating, their output is different, right? Their creative energy is different. And if you have a more rounded, if you begin to, to study and understand, there are seven different creative thought processes. And given, yes, there's going to be some variations in there, but they can be grouped into seven main categories. Some basic understanding of each really helps you in terms of tailoring your energy. You can understand which, once you understand what your child's soul type is or the decision processes, all of a sudden you get where they're coming from. You understand what they're struggling with and you understand where their, where their massive opportunity lies, right? This is where if they, if they do it this way, this is the amazing output that they can have, which may be something that frankly, it doesn't fit for you. It's not something that you could create, right? Because you're a different soul type. We all do it differently. And there's, and there's different gifts, different great things to be uncovered for each of us. Right, right. Absolutely. And, you know, when you start creating in your life, 
um, it becomes so much richer. Yeah. 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 Very true. Yeah. No, it's heartbreaking for me when I see people who come up with a, where they have an idea or they have a desire and they, maybe they want to start a business or maybe they want to write a book and they can't get it. They can't either can't get it off the ground or they get derailed. And it's, it's, I know it's really hard because not only are they missing out on the experience of really seeing their creative thing sort of bloom in the world, right? But then there's also the, the flip side, which is that when they start something and they don't finish or they don't get it quite off the ground, it creates a negative self-perception, right? Is that it, 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 they can then take that back and say, oh, well, I failed or I didn't do it right or, it, you know, I just, I don't complete things. Whatever that negative story is that gets reinforced. Whereas if it's just understanding, no, it's like you're just partly there. You're, you need to just continue the process, right? There is no failure here. It's just a learning process of learning to work with your own creative energy. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's to be more gentle that way. <laughs> oh yeah, it's definitely more gentle. And, and now is a really good time to thank our sponsor for today. Our sponsor is LinkedIn Talent Solutions. And you know, hiring the right person takes time and time that you don't always have, but you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. And that's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. Now, I like LinkedIn Talent Solutions because they give me a lot of flexibility and they allow me to really make a difference in my day. And, you know, they've got some cool things on here. You know, they have different types of trackers and, and you know, just different, different things that makes it easier. They've got recommended matches, they have candidate management, um, targeted job promotion, you know, all these really cool things. And LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills that you're looking for. So you can hire the right person fast. Things like collaboration and creativity and adaptability. And LinkedIn looks beyond the work skills and connects you with candidates who match your business perfectly. And that's how LinkedIn can make sure your job post gets in front of the people you want to hire. People with the skills, qualifications, and other insights that help LinkedIn paint a better picture of potential candidates. Now, it's no wonder why great candidates are hired every eight seconds on LinkedIn. And there are 25 million job seekers that visit LinkedIn every week. And nine out of 10 members are interested in hearing about new opportunities. Now, that's really awesome. Awesome. So to find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs, you can pay what you want and the first 50 bucks is on them. So just visit linkedin.com slash coach talk radio. Again, that's linkedin.com slash coach talk radio to get $50 off your first job post. Now, of course, terms and conditions apply. That information again is linkedin.com slash coach talk radio. Again, that's linkedin.com slash coach talk radio to get $50 off your first job post. Now, we were talking about creativity. You know, the, the creative process is really a funny thing because, you know, I liken to, you know, I grew up in a small town. And I had cows on my street and, and lots of corn. And, you know, every once in a while, my brothers would stomp on a corn plant. And the corn plant was only like two or three inches tall, you know? And yeah. we'd be like walk into the bus stop or walk in and there'd be like a little corn plant and he'd like stomp on it. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, you're an idea killer. Like that, yeah. I mean, you know, because when, when you are creating something, those perfect um, little 
plants are your ideas and they're so tender and they're so vulnerable. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be your own boot that stomps on them. Yeah, no, it's really true. And I think that that is an interesting thing is when you start a project, there's almost like a, a period where you have to sort of caretake of your idea that you have to be careful who you share it with in the beginning, because you only, you don't want, if you, if almost like there's a, there's a certain amount of little seed energy there. And if you, um, uh, run around and, and spread all that out and tell everybody about your idea, all of their opinions and all of their judgments and all of their, their, it starts to sort of dissipate that original excitement, that original right. seed energy. And yeah, it's like in the beginning, you kind of have to guard it a little bit, like take care of it and allow it to get some momentum behind it so that it can survive out in the world, you know? Yeah, because it does. It needs time to grow. And I, you know, I used to see this and, you know, I worked at Disney and CBS for a long time and I used to like to watch the idea creation because there was always one business executive that would come in and point out all the ways that wouldn't work. And all the creatives were like, well, what if, you know, what if? What if? now granted, you know, when you're making a movie or a television show, we need both, you know, we don't yeah, have yeah. budgets and things, yeah. but I always didn't like the money guys. That's what I used to call them. The money guys are the suits to yeah. come in early in the creative process because it just kills the mojo. Like, absolutely. The, you know, like when you think about how something can happen, and then you start thinking of the cost and the time and all those things just yeah. shoot your idea full of holes. And what I love about creatives is they can keep going and not worry about those things because really, if it's a great idea, all those other things will sort itself out. It's so true. And here's the thing is that if you are in the beginning stages of creating something, it's creation is a nonlinear process, right? The beginning creative, getting an idea. It's like you get a visual picture in your mind and you see sort of where you want to get to. And then maybe you might see some of the steps along the way, but you don't have a whole perfect linear path to get there. And so (laughs) trying to explain it to somebody becomes incredibly difficult. Especially if that person is wanting to know what the budget should be for this project or, right, the specific, that very linear thing that that comes out in business. And so it's really, really hard for a creator to come in and say, well, I have this beautiful vision and I, I see that there's these sort of three steps and I know there's a bunch more steps, but I don't know what they are it's super easy to shoot that idea down. And it's really, really hard for the person who's trying to create it to express it in a way that makes it compelling. Unless they're going to wrap it up in just a big story and kind of, you know, razzle-dazzle. The truth is, at the beginning, you really don't know what you're getting into, right? It needs time to grow and to develop. And yeah, and that's that's there has to be space made for that, for the creative process to happen. Well, and you got to kick the control freaks and the power freaks out of the room because this is what I found, you know, like uh, recently I was working on a, a Hallmark script and I was hired to punch it up, make it funnier. Yeah. And I said to everybody, I'm going home. I'm going home and I'm going to take it and I'm going to get lots of Mountain Dew and Skittles, which is what I <laughs> my process, diet Mountain Dew and Skittles, and I'm going to stay up all night and I will make it funny. And then, you know, a couple of the girls were like, well, you know what? You want us to come help you? No, we can, we can. I'm like, no, 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 no. I love you. We work together, but stay in your lane. You know, you're budgeting, you're marketing, you're this. Let me do the creative on my own because you will 
rain on my parade. You know, yeah. you will. And, you know, one of the characters I wanted to change, you know, he was like a 40-year-old scientist, and I made him a 16-year-old whiz kid with a Batman t-shirt. <laughs> because it, it was more entertaining. You know, it was yeah. funnier. It gave him comic relief. The character wasn't someone who had to, um, you know, really had a, a critical role in, in, the, in the show. And so when you look at some of this stuff, um, somebody might say, well, you know, we've already hired that character. We already have this in mind. We already mm -hmm. have that. So all of a sudden it's like, no, you're not killing my Batman wearing, you know, <laughs> because you need him. And, yeah. you know, it's better to defend your idea after it's fully formed. Yeah than to try to defend it because you have no leg to stand on when you're, when you're in that creative process, you're doing the what if, what if, what if. Right, right. And then you play around with it and those things come to life. They take on a mind of their own and then you can, you can successfully defend because that's really what happens today. You yeah. have to defend your idea. Yeah, yeah, it's really true. And I think what's interesting to me is that the, the creative process as we think about it I think of it as it unfolds in layers and that each layer has a creative element. So you have the first layer, which is making the thing, right? And that's, that's one kind of energy. And then once the thing is made, you move into the second kind of energy, which is how do you talk about the thing so that other people understand it right. so that they get excited about it. And that is a really creative process. That's a different creative energy, right? right. One is this forming this product, you know, and actually birthing it. It's really fragile. I think it's like yeah. a little baby. It's like, yeah, baby. exactly. You really got to work hard to keep it alive. Yeah. And this is, this is part of what I teach in my business energetics program is showing that each of these different stages of the creative process. And it starts with, it starts with the forming of the creating the actual physical, what is it, right? What is it, the, the story or the product, or whatever it is. Then you have to go into how do I express it? How do I talk about it? How do I explain it to other people? And right. that is a very creative a toddler. You know, it's yeah. a whiny, yeah. cry, hungry, cranky little toddler. How do I get people to understand what's going on with this kid? Yeah, exactly. And then the next stage after that, you go into how do I get other people to move towards it? How do I generate awareness of this? How do I build community around it or build interest in it? Right. And that's a creative process relating to creating relationship and connection with others and getting them to be engaged in what it is that you've made. Right. And then you move into, okay, how do I develop those relationships? How do I have people interested? How do I develop those connections? That's again, another kind of creative energy. And this just keeps on moving all the way through the whole process. Each one represents and depending on um, which soul type you are, which decision style you use, you're going to be best at one of those types of creative energy. So one different aspect of the, of the development of this whole idea, the whole, the whole, you know, it turns into at the end, you've got a business. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's where a lot of people are frustrated. I think, you know, when I talk with other authors or other creatives who have never been published or who haven't, Who've, who've decided to pursue a different course for their life. Yeah. Then you feel that envy, you feel that angst, you feel that heat of going, you know, I, I didn't do what I originally set out to do. And that yeah. to me is always heartbreaking Yeah. because you know, whether it was their own mind that shot their idea full of holes or their peer group, their family, their belief system, you know, limiting beliefs, all those things. Cause I'd like to talk a little bit about, 
you know, limiting beliefs because I think limiting beliefs go hand in hand with doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. Well, it, it is, it, you know, if, if you are coming into it with certain perceptions about what's possible, that right there is a huge limitation, right? We are, I think we are guilty of thinking way smaller than the universe might think for us, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, you know, we always gear towards the negative. Our minds don't, our minds, most of our minds don't go and see a dress on a rack and go, Ooh, that would look really good on me. More <laughs> often than not, it's like, wow, um, could I wear that color? Can I fit into it? Is it going to make my butt look big? Like right. <laughs> you know, those are the normal things that go through your head. But right. when you're conscious of your limiting beliefs, like I had a lot of limiting beliefs from my childhood, not because anybody planted them in me, yeah. but when you're raised in a small town, and, you know, kind of reaching for the stars for a girl could be conceived as, wow, she's kind of big for her britches or, yeah. she, you know, there's mm-hmm. cultural, there's, you know, um, sometimes religious or spiritual training that says, you know, you should stay in your place or, and then there's also the mean girls in town who are like, you know, why would you think you could do that? And, yeah. you know, for me, kind of a nerdy little bookworm, um, I listened to a lot of those things and I was the younger, I was the little in my family. So you're the younger, you can't do what your older brothers and sisters do. And right. you know, when I got divorced at 39, you know, my oldest brother wanted to fly out and help me, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> so even when it's well-meaning and loving, yeah. um, you can take those and go, wow, I can't do these things on my own or, you know, right. I shouldn't try or, gee, it's not ladylike, or it's not polite, you know, like even talking about money, asking for money, when we get to the contract part of my business, or the contract part of my creatives, for a long time, I thought just because it was easy for me, it didn't have any monetary value. So I was going like, sure, I can rewrite that. Sure, I'll be happy to help. And I'd help and be a good little helper. And then I'd watch them get a lot of money. And then I'm like, huh, (laughs) And I look at my bank account and go, wow, that's probably not the best thing to do. And so I had a lot of limiting beliefs about money and that, you know, was I, I never had the worthiness part of it, but I just thought, oh, it's not nice to ask about money. It's not. Mm. Now I look at the conversations of money and limiting belief of going, I'm just going to clear this up. This is what I charge. This is what I need. This is what it'll take me. And I want to be clear up front because what would happen is my limiting beliefs would cause indecision in the transaction. Then the other person would feel that uncomfortable weirdness yes. fun with their own uncomfortable weirdness. And now I just put it out there. It's like, I'm even to the point where I'm having a birthday party for my kid tomorrow and I could kill him. And he put his party invitation on Snapchat. Oh. Uh, now I'm getting random people saying, hi, I'm Maddie's mom. Hi, I'm Justin's dad. Do not know these kids. Do not know these parents. <laughs> and I don't know how many. I could have 10 kids at my party. I could have. Oh, no. Looking towards about 35 right now. I budgeted for 10. Oh, my gosh. And so when a parent says to me, like I have this text here right now. Hey, Alex is coming tomorrow. Is she supposed to bring something? I wrote, <laughs> boy, would I, since Zach put the party up on Snapchat and I'm getting so many kids, bring something. If we don't use it, please take it home. <laughs> that, those t- 
to my limiting beliefs, money fears thing that I must do it all myself. Oh yeah. Yeah. And as a single mom, I think, you know, it's funny because everybody's laughing. They're like, oh my God, he put it on my Snapchat. You could have a hundred <laughs> kids. Like, yeah, I could. <laughs> so bring something. And if we use it, great. If we don't take it home. And, but that required me to be okay with two things. One, receiving monetary help or receiving yes. assistance. Yeah. And those are, you know, those are really hard limiting beliefs because they cause me they used to cause me to doubt myself. And like, if I asked for help, it was an admission. I can't do it. And even though I yes. can't do it, if I admitted that to myself, what else can't I do? Right. Right. Well, I think that there's, that is a, a, a huge issue is the whole idea of our, our, what is our capacity to receive, right? Where are we are comfortable with receiving and, and how much and in what context. And I think it, it, it gets really tricky when you're trying to create something in the world or when you're experiencing um, uh, doubt is, is because, you know, as you are, those of us who are helpers, like you just said, like you, you tend to be a helpful person and go out is that sometimes underneath our desire to help is that, and I, I am like this too, is I, I, my first instinct is to be helpful to others is to, okay, I, you know, I love to be in service to others and it's hard to separate that out from, am I valuable? Am I valued when I'm, when I'm receiving help, right? Is that, am I only valuable because I'm giving help? Am I valuable because of what I do or am I valuable because of who I am? Right. And when you're receiving help, it, it brings up vulnerability, right? Is that, is that, are you really, um, are you going to be valued if yep. you need help? And how maybe not. Maybe the feeling is maybe not. Right. And how are they going yeah. to see you? Do they see you as somehow deficient? But the funny thing is, and I learned this, I think, the hard way of being a single mom for the last decade. And, you know, my kids are now 13 and, and 16 now. So, you know, I have a lot of experience in that, is that people love to help me. You yeah. know, I love to help them. But people yeah. love to help me. You know, dads have come over and helped me with my air conditioning unit. You know, they know that I have a fatherless household and they know yeah. I, you know, 80 year old dad. And there were times when I felt like the biggest pathetic loser in town because I needed all these help or people would offer to help. And then one of my friends told me something and she's like, I'm so glad Tom went over and re whatever he did to the air conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that, you know, voodoo magic they do it. It works now. <laughs> That's all I know, but it works and we have air conditioning again. And I said, why? And she goes, well, he was really down on his business. Business wasn't going away. He's a contractor in town. And she goes, he went over and helped you out. And I did pay him, but he wouldn't, he would only accept money for parts. He's like, Sam, I'm not going to take money from you. And I said, well, at least let me pay for the, like, I don't know, the flux capacitor. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thing. And he said, okay, fine. It was like $35, you know, whatever it was, but he fixed it. She said he came home so much happier, happier than I've seen him in weeks. Oh, wow. And I realized that when we go into our doubts and then we reject help or we push people's offers away for help, we really rob them of the joy. And she's like, I'm so grateful he came to fix your thing. And I'm thinking, this is, this doesn't make any sense. Right. And then right. She said later on, she's like, yeah, she's like, he went and he was so happy. He went and called a bunch of people, got a bunch of business. 
Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Because so his energy shifted, right? His so he was feeling shifted. better. So all of a sudden he's, yeah, he can attract business again. Right. No, it's so true. He's a hero. You know, I'm thanking him. You know, I give yeah. him the money for the part. So he's not out of anything other than his effort. And yeah. Home feels good and makes some business calls. Like yeah. none of that would have happened if I kept in my doubt bubble of what if I can't, I can't ask for help. It proves that I can't. And if it, if it's proved that I can't, I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to die alone. Like, you know, in a ditch. Right. Right. Yeah. And no, and you're right. Allowing others to help you is as much of a gift for them as it is for you. Like it really does give them and, and by willing to be vulnerable, you allow them in. Right. And allow, and people love that. They love that. They'd love to feel like they've been of service. It makes them feel valued. And it, it, it is like, and you can't continue to give all the time without then receiving something in return. It's like you get depleted. Right. So it's, Nobody's yeah. telling you to go out and be the town freeloader. Like, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, exactly. We're not the town freeloader, but if people say, Hey, you know, we're coming to the party tomorrow, what can we bring? Let them bring something. Great. Yeah. Thank you. And, and here's, what's interesting is I find that the more that, um, that I allow other people to contribute to, cause I, you know, I run a bunch of events and things like that. The more that I allow other people to, to have a hand in it, the more that they take ownership of it yes. and it becomes something, uh, you know, personal for them too, that they get so much more out of it because they've invested into it. And it's like that, that's how you fall in love with stuff, right? Is you invest in it. The more they invest in, in what I've got going on, the more that they become, you know, a committed part of it and the community grows and everything else. Well, and everybody wins because, you know, I've, yeah. I've worked with the Marines for 30 years and I do these big Toys for Tots fundraisers at my house. They, everybody just brings a toy. Mom brings, the moms bring the overages for the kids' birthday parties that they can't return. They know they're not going to play with. They just kind of siphon them off to the side because kids get so much today. Yeah, and then yeah. They bring them in November to my house, the Marines come in full dress and we have, you know, about 100 to 150 people come through and we yeah. have 1,500 toys. The average toy donation donation is 15 when you think of 100 or 150 people you know 10 to 15 toys because people get involved they have their kids pick out a, a toy for someone they'll never meet but the yeah. thing is when I moved to this town that I'm in I used to be you know in Beverly Hills and then Los Angeles and now I'm in a little mountain town just north of Los Angeles I thought oh well this probably isn't going to fly this is going to be really weird and people said to me can I bring a dish can I now, 10 years later, there's about 10 or 15 families that call it our Toys for Tots party. Oh, that's awesome. Like I've seen the subtle shift between your party or the party to our party. And I we've got a couple it. moms who they have their signature dishes. One makes this jello dish. One makes this like, oh, it's so good. It's like graham crackers, marshmallow chocolate, like a s'more in a pan. Oh, oh my gosh. And you scoop it out and it's, <laughs> people look for that. They look for this jello mold that has like coconut, I, it's ambrosia with jello. Like, oh my gosh. But we all look forward. And now what started was my doubt yeah. that allowed a door opening to create our party. And now there are these signature dishes and everybody goes, oh, is somebody, is, is, is Stacy going to bring the jello dip? Is Stacey going to bring <laughs> I'm like, yes, we're on target, you know. Because we do, we do crave that routine. We do crave yeah. those traditions. Yeah, for but sure. Those routines and traditions can't thrive if you live in doubt. 
Yeah, absolutely. Do you know another another element of doubt that I wanted to bring up was um, I think I think some of the biggest fears that come up over and over and over for, for people as they're starting something is they they get an idea and then they immediately go out and see that there's 20 other people doing the same thing and then they freak out. It becomes comparative. They think, oh, well, there's already too many people in the world doing that or you know, my idea isn't as good as these other ones or whatever, and they get discouraged and they stop. Right. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, I think that, that form of doubt where, where, and, you know, where the, where the truth is, is that, okay, say for example, if somebody wanted, you're a coach, I'm a coach, somebody wanted to start a coaching practice. Right. And the truth is, is yeah, there's a lot of other coaches out there, but there's, there is one Sandra Beck, right. And right. that people, the people that you are meant to work with, are going to find you. They're going to resonate with your energy and they're going to work with you. And not only that, but you bring something different to the party. Sure. And there's lots of people in the world right now. So like how many, how many people in the world need coaching? Well, I would say everybody could benefit from, from coaching. Not everybody is ready for it. Not everybody has signed up for it, but more and more people are, right? right. As, as our world is changing, we are learning to, I think it's a, a, a shift that people are learning to reach out to each other for that kind of support and help with making our lives as fulfilling and excellent as they can be. Right. Um, so it's like, I think that the process of, of looking out and seeing discouragement in the world and saying, oh, well, somebody else is doing it, therefore I can't do it. Right. Um, you know, that, I think that is, you know, I think the best thing you can do is to a certain degree that gets back to that idea of guarding your idea in the beginning of not going out and comparing what you're doing to everybody else and not going out and, you know, open, just dissipating that energy, that original seed energy that right. you've got, you know, taking care of that and not allowing yourself to be discouraged by the fact that, yeah, maybe some other people are doing the same thing, you know, and I'm not saying that you want to, uh, if your whole business model is around doing being the first, well, okay, then maybe you want to look into that. But most of us are not starting that kind of business. <laughs> right, right. Well, and you know, look at your new business idea like a newborn baby. You know, you're not going to go on a on a city bus and say, "Hey, who wants to hold the baby?" And right. <laughs> right. Yes. Their ideas. They walk into so like right. a coffee shop and they start bullshit. I'm sorry, BSing about their idea and then people have all sorts of opinions it's like yeah. when I used to be a reporter I'm like I don't want to do man on the street interviews and that my yeah. editor would say you have to and I'm like why would I interview someone who knows nothing talking <laughs> about something he knows even less about it's like, so true talk to an expert I'm not going to go to the man on the street and say hey guy with a briefcase Let's talk about doubt. I'm going right. to go to someone who wrote a book, someone who's actually given a little thought to this concept. Yeah, yeah. You oh know, my gosh, that's hilarious. So you want to be judicious with your business ideas, with your creative ideas, with your feelings. Yeah. And you know, that's where we really haven't gone. And I feel like that we should is, is doubt in relationships, right? We haven't really talked about that at all. And boy, is that a big one. <laughs> all right. So we're going to have to have you back because we're at the 50 minute mark and um, I have to wrap our show up for today, but we're going to do doubt in relationships. Look for that coming soon with Sandra Beck and Ann Tucker. Find out more about Ann Tucker at anntucker.com. Look up her book where books are sold. Undoubtedly awesome. You will be glad you did. We'll be back again next week. 
On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques on Coach.